Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. I'm honored to be here this morning, and, and if Jacob was here, I, I appreciate the, the introduction and the welcome. Uh, VLC, you've got an amazing core of pastors here at your church, uh, Pastor uh, Jacob and Cheryl and Pastor Ron and Cheryl Bramos as well, and uh, to the joy of being able to watch ministry be molded and shaped and endured at times. Uh, through them is is amazing, and uh, I'm honored to call them friends of mine. And so when Jacob and I sat down a few months ago and talked about doing a series on relationships uh, and hearing their heart behind it, I was thrilled with the opportunity to be able to do that. But I just want to do a quick introduction. So I know some familiar faces, but I have a lot of faces I don't recognize at all. But I just want to introduce myself and then my family. I've got a picture in the back that might be thrown up there. Um, this is my wife over here of 25 years, married Nicole. And um, a couple of my kids, uh, one, one, actually both of them might be taller than me by now. Well, our oldest son, Daniel's 22. He gets married uh, in, in about a month and a half. And so it'll be, uh, yeah. I say it's, I've done close, probably close to 100 weddings or so. It'll be my favorite one to date because I've got three more behind it. So it can't be my favorite. Uh, and then my son Zach's here as well with his girlfriend, Lexi, and then our oldest daughter, Becca, and our youngest daughter, Hannah, who's here as well, too. And we just want to say thank you. And I honestly, I'm, I'm a better husband, a better father, a better pastor, a better person because of my family. And I honor them here this morning. So... So if you have your Bibles, take them out. I'm going to walk through um, 1 Corinthians, the uh, seventh chapter. And the idea of this series on relationship is not just to talk about marriage. Next week, Pastor Ron's going to tackle the four lies that destroy marriage. Today, I want to kind of set a foundation on relationships in general. So whether you're married, whether you're widowed, um, if you've been divorced, I'm not talking about your, your previous, I'm talking about the relationship you're in now. If you're single, ready to mingle, if you're you know, a student looking at, do I want to start dating, what does that look like? I want to talk about that because I think God has a lot to say about this idea of relationships. And what's the big why? Why, why would we talk about this in church? Well, the big why is because every 42 seconds, there's a divorce that happens in America. That's 86 divorces per hour, over 2,000 divorces per day, over 14,000 divorces per week, and over 746,000 divorces per year. That's just in America. Multiplied times two, the effects it has, but then you add kids to it, and the hundreds of thousands of people that are impacted by a decision. And so I think the scripture has a lot to say about divorce. The scripture has even more to say about marriage. And it has even more to say about relationships. And that's why we want to talk about that here this morning. So two amazing scriptures. Real quick, I'm going to throw up on the screen. The first one is Proverbs 18.22. It says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. So at this point, all the ladies can just nudge your husband. And you guys, right, you found a treasure in me. As a matter of fact, not only did you find a treasure, but you gained favor because you're with me. So take note. It's a great scripture. It's a reminder of what we have in marriage. But the next scripture in 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, says, It is good for a man not to marry. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> so the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, says, men, when you get married, it's a gift. You've been given a treasure. Many years later, hundreds of years, Paul says, I wish you wouldn't get married. 
Because there will be trouble. There will be challenging times. But you choose. All right, so we've, we see these, these differences in perspective on marriage and in relationship. But why do we need to get this idea of relationship right? Because so much is riding on this relationship. Whether you're engaged, whether you're dating, or whether you're currently married, so much is riding on this relationship, particularly in marriage. We are receivers of the previous generation and how they handled the relationships in marriage. And our kids are going to be the receptors of how we handle this relationship called marriage. I would say the previous generation, based upon where we're at, I would have liked to see them do a better job. But you know what? It's not on them anymore. It's on you and I. Amen? It's on us. Because we now have the ball. We now have the opportunity to say, how am I making an impact? How am I making a difference? How am I equipped to live this life out and do it well and honor God in the process? So let me set the stage for a moment. If you have pens, you have papers, you don't write write this down. But if you want to close your eyes for a minute, feel free to. But picture paradise for a moment. What would that look like for you? What would that place look like? Would it be somewhere in the island of Tahiti where you open up its vast oceans of animals swimming around you? Would it, would it be in the mountaintop somewhere looking down into a beautiful valley? Like what would paradise look like for you? Picture that in your mind for a moment. Then answer the question, what would you like to do in that paradise? You want to hunt? You want to go hike in? You want to do nothing? Because your life's so crazy right now. You want to read a book? You want to go sit on a hammock? Like, what do you want to do in your paradise? And then what do you want to be surrounded around? Who do you want to be there with you? Picture that for a moment. Who are the friends and the family that you want to be with you in that place of paradise? Get there for a moment. Now I ask you the question, in that place, you're in charge. You still want to be there? Of course, we'd love to be in charge. If I said, hey, even God's in that place with you, would you still want to live there? Absolutely. But if I asked you this last question, how many would answer yes? If I said, you're in paradise, you're with everybody that you want around, you're doing what you want to do, but you are alone. The people that you want with you can't be with you. God's there. The things are there that you want to do, but you're alone. How many would take that in life? Now, first we go, yeah, I like that idea for like a week. (laughs) But forever. And the reason the majority of us, if not all of us, would say, I don't want that, there's a reason. It's because we were wired for relationship. Amen? We were wired for community. We were wired to walk in life together with people around us. Loneliness is an epidemic. It is. It's why the hardest of criminals can be broken in solitary confinement. It's not the bars I don't think it's the food, although it could be. I think what it boils down to is it's this idea of being isolated and alone. It breaks the hardest of people. Why? Because we are so desired to be bonded with somebody, connected and attached with somebody in life. When that is severed off, there's a struggle. We walked through this idea, this, this pandemic, many, many years ago. And we're still seeing the repercussions of it today. This idea of isolation. You can't see anybody. You can't talk to anybody. You can't go grocery shopping. you got to stay in your house. And it caused the majority of people to really question and wonder. And many people struggle. As a matter of fact, I read a statistic last week that the number two killer of people under the age of 35 is suicide right now. It's been number, number seven and number eight for dozens and dozens of years. 
in the last two years, it's continually creeped up. And now, as of last week, they came out and said it's the number one killer of people. Why? Because they feel alone. And can I tell you, you were never meant to be alone. You're never meant to be alone. So let's talk about this idea of relationship. In Genesis, the second chapter, there was a moment where a man was in perfect paradise. Remember that moment? He had everything he wanted. But was he really alone? Not really. I mean, he had the animals. He had everything around him. But what he did not have is the very first time God said it was not good. Genesis 2.18, he says, it was not good for what? Man to be left alone. So he created a helpmate, a person to do life and walk through life with. He didn't have relationship with another in order to bond. And when it comes to relationships, that's what brings this connection is the ability to bond with one another. And bonding happens on different levels. In friendship, there's a bond. In family, there's a bond. Workmate, there's a bond. But in marriage, that bond looks different. It's at a different level. It's a different intensity. But bonding can be defined as this, emotional connection, physical closeness, and safety. When you have emotional connection, physical closeness, and safety, there's a bond that takes place. So let's play this out in marriage for just a minute. In marriage, when you have emotional connection with somebody, what does that look like? It looks like going below the surface in communication. As men, oftentimes we, most of us, are wired to speak half as many words as the women do. So as guys, we think through a lot of stuff. Like we're thinkers, thinkers, thinkers. And as women, you process through communication. So my wife and I, we, a couple of years back, we drove to Orlando three hours. And it was an amazing ride because you know how much I talked? I didn't. And we got up. I remember pulling into the hotel. I'm like, man, that was great. And she's like, really? Like, we didn't talk the entire time. I'm like, no. It was a great, I was in my head the entire time. Now, as a good husband, what happens on the drive back? You talk and discuss and what's going on. But this, this emotional connection is so needed because when your wife asks you how was your day, what she's not looking for is a one-word answer, like fine. It's good. What she's actually asking oftentimes is tell me about your day. What happened in your day? How did that make you feel? What happens there? There's this emotional connection between you and your spouse. It's a little bit easier oftentimes for women more than men. Not in all cases, but in many, most cases. And so guys, that emotional connection, I got to go into my feelings? Yeah, you got to go in that feeling box, kind of pull it out, address it, talk through it, let them know. How, yeah, why? Because it connects you together. Because what happens is if they don't connect with you, they're going to connect with somebody else. And it may be another female at work. And guess what happens when you get two ladies talking about their emotion? Gossip can be rampant. <laughs> or somebody of the opposite. Why? Because there's a connection that happens. But in a bonding relationship, you need emotional connection. You need physical closeness. That can be intimacy, but it's not necessarily. It's holding hands. It's a foot rub. Like all that, that bonds you together. And the third thing that bonds a couple together is this idea of safety. Physical safety, I will protect you, I will guard you, I will watch over you. But emotional safety, financial safety, spiritual safety. And when you have that working together in a marriage, there's a bond between a husband and a wife. Amen? And so we see that needs to play out in, in our own marriages. But if you're single here, or you're dating or you're looking to date, or maybe you're a widow and you're just like, I don't, I do, do I want to get involved in another? Like, let's talk about this for a second. You can't marry the right person if you're dating the wrong one. So if you're in a relationship, you're like, well, I think he's going to change. I think that, I'm hoping, I'm praying that she'll, she'll kind of, you, you, you can't marry the right one if you're already in relationship with the wrong one. And that's painful because that means you may have to kind of step out and make a hard decision. But I, I promise you this, 
the four years you invested now is nothing compared to the next 40 years in that marriage long term, if it lasts. So what does that look like? There's a natural cycle of relationships that we all go through. And the average, the three markers of divorce in couples is year two, year seven, and year 25. Year two, what happens in year two? Well, you get past the illusion stage that he's perfect. I love the way he picks his teeth. She doesn't bother me about her. She doesn't, you know. And we're like, oh, that's illusion stage. And then it happens the first 12 to 18 months. Then you get into year two, and you're like, I'm kind of disillusioned now. Like, so all the excitement and all the, it's not, as the sizzle's not quite there anymore. And you get in that disillusion state, and a lot of couples go, hey, you know what? I'm tapping out. It's not what I thought it was. So a lot of couples after year two, they, they sign off. You go to year seven, and a lot of that happens because couples who have been married a number of years, now they've got kids, and they got kids running around the house, and the kids got a lot of demanding, and the husband and wife look at each other like, this is harder than we thought. Any parents agree? That's, it's like, this is tough. It is. It's controlled chaos sometimes, and it's just trying to keep your head above water. But, but when the husband and wife haven't spent that time with each other, it can cause a lot, of, a lot of friction. And then year seven, a lot of couples tap out. But year 25 happens because those little kids who've run the house are now out of the house, and they're empty nesters, and the husband and wife look at each other year 25 going, I don't know who you are because we haven't self-sacrificed. We haven't invested. We haven't dated. We haven't spent that time with each other. So you've got this natural cycle. You go from illusion to disillusion to confusion. And then you've got to go to conclusion and you've got to make a decision. Do we work hard to pursue each other till death do us part? Or do we just kind of, you know, get bad advice as to the other options that are out there? And we're, we're, we're working through this process. So 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter, Paul is writing to the church. We do not attract what we want. We attract who we are. So who are we? Who are you? Who are you? Let's build that character for a few minutes tonight. Let's spend a little time investing into us. Who am I as a single? Who am I as a married person? Who am I as engaged, as a widow? Who am I? And then who am I able to attract? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in order to see what he's teaching on, talking about in chapter 7, you've got to go to chapter 6. And I didn't give these scriptures to you, but if you've got your Bible, just follow along with me. Paul is addressing the issues in the church. Because we understand sexual immorality happens outside the church. And we go, okay, there's sin. They, they don't understand what that looks like. There's not been a nature change. They haven't transformed their life. We get that. That's not what Paul is actually writing to the church. And saying, in the church, there's some issues going on inside the church. Verse 12, he says, I've allowed you, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is necessarily good for you. Have at it. Do what you want, but not everything is beneficial. And so he's tackling these ideas, these thoughts, and he, and he goes down into the 19th verse of chapter 6. He says, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Stop there a second. Before you go and say that, before you go and do that, before you go and respond that way, do you realize your body, as a believer, is not your own? It was bought at a very, 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 very high price. And you had nothing to do with it. Somebody else took on your wrath so you wouldn't have to. And when we understand the scriptures to what it says, we realize that our body is not our own. So how I respond, how I react, how I live is under an audience of one irregardless of how somebody else responds or acts or reacts. Like this is this, is this heavy message. Paul is trying to come, on, come into the church and go, what are we doing here? Are we, are we any different than the clubhouse down the streets? Because we need to be. He says, don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you. You do not belong to yourself. And he closes that craft that, that chapter around. He says, so you must honor God with your body. Highlight that, underline that, 
Put it on a bumper sticker. Put it on your, like, like honor God with your body. But that leads him into chapter seven, instructions in marriage. He says, now regarding the questions that you asked in this letter, yes, it is good to live a celibate life, one who's not touched a woman. But because there is so much sexual immorality, every man should have his own wife and each woman should have their own husband. Really, he's got to teach that in the church? Yes. Where do you think polygamy comes from? Like, it, like it's, it's, it's the decrepitation of sin and this desire to have more that you don't deserve. So Paul has to lay out, hey guys, you get one wife, not more. I'm not sure that you'd want more, but for some of you, somehow people are wanting more than one woman in their life. And women, you get one husband. And he's very clear, like, like you were created man and woman, male and female. And now for some reason, we're in a culture now, we're trying to figure out what that is. Like that blows me when my wife and I were driving back the other day and I'm listening to people talk and I'm like, we're having to defend and debate about what a woman is. I, I can't imagine what Paul would be writing to the church today, to the Christian today. God has designed us. You didn't design yourself that way. God designed you as male and as female. That was not some... Throw it and figure out how we lay it. No, it was, I, did, I designed you. I'm not gonna, I cannot and I will not tweak what God has designed. But you know what we do have to do? In the pulpit, we have to preach what God has said. And I know maybe it's not popular, but that's okay. But what needs to be important is, God, what is it you have to say? About every area of life, God, what is it you have to say? Not what does pastor so-and-so have to say? Not what is my parent? God, what is it that you have to say about marriage or about me? And it may not always land well. That's okay. Take it up with him. But Paul is writing. He says, he says man should have his own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. For the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority over her body, his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations. And if you want to underline that, that's really good. You can show it to your spouse later. Then he puts a comment. He says, unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourself completely to prayer. Awesome. But afterwards, you should then come together again. Why? Because there's an enemy who wants to separate you and fight you and disillusion you and confuse you. So afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not a command. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. But listen to this. But God has given some the gift of marriage and others the gift of singleness. It's a gift. Marriage is a gift. Singleness is a gift. The season of singleness is a gift. You may not be single the rest of your life, but if you're single, ready to mingle now and you're trying to figure this out, like, like, like take it, it's, it's a gift. You're gifted right now before there's someone else in your life to give you their opinion. Because if I want to go to get chips and, and queso at Chili's, and then I want to go to um, Chick-fil-A to go get some nuggets, and then I want to go to Dairy Queen to go get dessert, and I'm single, I don't have to ask anybody. I'm just doing one, two, three. But if I'm married, then I've got to ask my spouse's opinion. Hey, what do you think? And if they go, ah, Chick-fil-A, no, let's just go say a Chili's. I'm like, oh. Then I'm disappointed, right? <laughs> but this idea of being, hey, when, but yet when I'm alone, I get to live my life. It, it is a gift. And that season may last your entire life. Or it may just last a season, but embrace the gift of singleness, but also embrace the gift of marriage. 
Verse eight, and so I say, those who aren't married and to the widow, it is better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with lust. My point, you can jot this down. Being married is not our purpose in life. It's not our purpose in life. You may think it is, and, and when, when I was, you know, young, in high school as well too, probably in college, I'm like, no, that's, like, that's my purpose. Like, I got to get married, and I got to accomplish tasks, and we got to have, that's not my purpose. Marriage is not your purpose. You, your life is bigger than marriage. Is marriage a part of that? Probably, for most people, but not everybody. But it's a part of that. 1 Corinthians 7.35 says it this way. I'm not saying this for your own good, Paul says, not to restrict you, but that you may live in the right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. What is your purpose in life? To live undivided, fully devoted to Christ. That's your purpose. And it's done as a single person. It's done as a married person. It's done as a widow. It's done in all forms. But your, your main purpose is to live undevoted, fully devoted to Christ. So whether you're married, single, widowed, married with kids, dating, or engaged, our purpose in life is to live our best with undivided devotion to him. So if you're taking some notes, here's point one. Jacob and I tossed around some ideas. What are we going to call the series? He's like, hey, let's, talk, let's do hashtag goals. I'm like, no, I don't like that. He's like, all right. We'll just talk about the qualities that you need in marriage and before marriage. We're kind of going that theme. And so got all the stuff together. And I was talking to my wife last night. And she's like, hey, what are you talking about? I said, there's these quality things, three qualities in marriage. She goes, it should be like, we'll call it like hashtag goals. I'm like, yeah, I didn't like that before. <laughs> but as a good husband, hey, guess we're going to call it hashtag goals. <laughs> so here's three qualities or three goals if you're dating, if you're single, or if you're married. These are qualities that we're looking for. These are goals that we want to achieve and go after because it's possible you're not in that place right now, and that's okay. But here's number one. You need to be secure in Christ. Amen? You need to be secure in Christ. If you want to end up married and happy, start single and secure. If you want to end up married and enjoying marriage, then you've got to start out before you get married single, but you got to be secure. Because insecure people need more. And insecure people settle for less. Do you remember those days when we were young and insecure? All right, for those of us who are in our, gosh, I'm going to say it, middle age or above. Remember when we were immature and insecure in middle school and high school? And we're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that person likes me. I like him too, right? Because we're insecure, I don't know anything about him, but you know what? Yeah, he asked me to go out a day. So I'm gonna, like, we, why? Because we're just so insecure. But as we grow and as we mature, that begins to change. Colossians 2 says it this way, For in Christ all the fullness of his deity dwells within bodily form, and you have been made complete in Christ. Jerry Maguire doesn't complete you. In case you're wondering what that means, there's a horrible line in that movie that says, they look at each other, they're in love, and they go, you complete me. No, you don't. <laughs> there's only one person that can complete you. That's in Christ, in Christ alone. Yet we're chasing all kinds of other things to try to complete us. Why? Because we're insecure. So we've got we've to develop and push the insecurity out of us and remind us, God, what is it you say? You bring security in us. Your word is a lamp. Your word is a light. Your word is a guide for our life. And I don't need to be chasing other things around. God, I need, I need to be secure in you. I love what Timothy Keller says. He says, marriage was never meant to satisfy us like communion with God, nor is it capable of doing so. We think that maybe the marriage is what will help solidify these wandering minds and these wandering issues in our life and we kind of we get to the altar of the wedding with all of our issues, and we go, hey, babe, here I go. And we throw all of our stuff on the altar. Go, okay, good, I'm giving it all to you. 
That's not the picture at all. What Paul is saying is, you come to the altar and you should have dealt with all of your issues at the season of life that you're in. The struggles, the addiction. Like, don't bring that into the marriage. Address those before the marriage. So when you get to marriage, you get to enjoy the process and the new things. But if you get into a marriage hoping that that marriage is what's going to bring completion in you and you're not completed in Christ and find security in him, you're going to struggle now, not just being single, now you're going to struggle in marriage. So if we're looking for qualities, if insecure people need more and settle for less, then secure people need less yet expect more. When we become secure in who we are, we settle for a lot less but yet we expect more from people around us. And we call that maturity. We call it maturity. And that's where we want to be. Mature in Christ. So number one, we need to be secure in Christ. Number two, we need to be strong in character. If you're single, become strong in character. If you're married, you need to be strong in character. You need to be strong in character. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. We know that we're to set an example for the unbeliever. That's not what Timothy was writing about. What he was writing about was to the believer. He says, I want you to set an example for the person sitting next to you and how you conduct your life. Oh, you go to church together. So make sure you respond the right way to each other. Don't take each other for granted. Set an example for believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. This is why when our unsaved neighbor offends us, we're like, they just don't know Christ, I, you know, whatever, and we kind of move on. But when our saved friend or family or neighbor does the very same thing, it hurts even more. Why? Because we're supposed to expect better, Amen. We're supposed to expect better from each other. And yet those wounds can be even deeper. So Timothy says, let me help you out. Love each other. Be an example in how you talk. Be an example of how you live your life. Be an example of how you love. Be an example in your purity. Be an example to one another. So you need to be strong in character. If you're looking for qualities of strong character, here's some ideas. Determine in advance what qualities you're looking for in the person. So if you're dating or you're single and you're kind of, look for qualities in advance. Don't, I'll, I'll figure it out when I get there. That's a horrible recipe. Look for qualities in advance. Determine it in advance. Why? Because Proverbs 31:30 says, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. See, the way you catch someone is the way you have to keep them. And if you charm them into a relationship with you, that charm only lasts so long. It will not last 30 years. I'm not opposed with charm. Charm's great. But if you're turned on by the charm of that person and not the reality of who they really are in the character, then that's where things can get a little dicey. Charm is deceptive. Beauty is fleeting. Why is beauty fleeting? Because age is a great equalizer. Right? You just, I don't recover the way I used to. Gravity affects me. My wrinkles are more than I realize, and I can't change that, you know. It's just, it's, age is a great equalizer. But if you allow charm and beauty to what drives you to an individual or a person, then there can be some struggle. Also make spiritual compatibility non-negotiable. Also, seek advice from spiritually mature people. If you're looking, you're trying to find, look, seek advice from spiritually mature people, parents, mentors, etc. When I meet with couples, I'll do some premarital counseling with couples. In my, our, my first meeting with them, I'll talk to them and say, hey, what did your parents think about him? What did your dad think about him? And I just, just listen. And if I hear things like, well, my dad doesn't really like anybody. And he doesn't like him, he doesn't like anybody. I'm like, oh, I don't like anybody. Doesn't like him, it doesn't like him. Okay. Like we, we need we need the spiritually mature people around us to really 
have that investment that we can say, hey, how do you, what do you think about this relationship? Hey, what do you think about this person I'm stepping into relationship with? How do you feel about it? We need those mentors, we need those parents, if you will, to help guide and to direct us. Proverbs 19, 20 says, listen to advice and accept, and accept instructions because in the end you will be wise. Basically saying, don't go alone. Don't go alone. Another one is choose to honor God in the way that you date and marry before you start dating and getting married. Like these are just a couple of little things to kind of, some trinkets to kind of put in front of you as you're looking. You're surveying the field if you're in that relationship and you're, you're not married yet, but you're kind of looking for it. Here's a couple more things. A few keys to maintain in a healthy dating relationship. Keep a healthy pace if you're dating. Keep a healthy purity and keep a healthy perspective. Parents, if you've got kids who are getting ready to step into this dating scene in the near future, keep this in front of them. A healthy pace, a healthy purity, and a healthy perspective. Time plus intensity equals pace. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we call it the love chapter. What's the very first description? He says what love is. Love is, oh, hang on a second. Let me help you out. It says patience, okay? Love is, love is patient. It's the very first thing to describe love. He says what is love? Love is patient, which it's not in a hurry. Make sure there's a healthy pace in that relationship that you're in. A healthy pace. Love and lust look very similar until you dig a little deeper. And they look a lot different. Healthy pace, healthy purity, right? Because we need to assume we all have natural weaknesses. Your kids, if they're dating or considering dating, they have natural weaknesses. You have natural weaknesses. Paul goes on in Corinthians later on, he says, flee sexual immorality. Flee it. He doesn't say stay away. If he goes, take off, run away from it. We've got to carry purity. In a healthy perspective, a mind out of focus, it becomes a life out of focus. We've got to have a good, healthy perspective. Because a poor perspective is a relationship that becomes self-absorbed, isolated, insecure, and dependent. Keep the big perspective as to why. So the three goals we're looking for, you need to be secure in Christ, you need to be strong in character, and number three, you need to be planted in community. You need to be planted in, in a community. The strength of your community will shape the quality of your marriage. The strength of your community will shape the quality of your marriage. That's why this moment matters on Sundays. That's why small group matters during the week. That's why relationships outside of our Sunday morning experience, why, why it matters because that community is what brings health and life to each other. Proverbs 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and become wise, but associate with fools and you get into trouble. He didn't say the walk was easy. He said, walk well to become wise. In the community around you, is what lifts you, that holds you together and keeps you disciplined in life. Discipline. Anybody like that word discipline? Yeah. It's beneficial for us, but it's hard to, dis to discipline ourselves. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. So disciplining your body to get ready for a race. Disciplining a lifestyle of eating differently. Disciplining your child for doing something wrong. It, we, 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 parents will tell us, it hurts me to know that I'm hurting you. But you know what? God even says the same thing. Like God doesn't want to discipline us. He knows it's hurting, but he understands the big picture. Why do we discipline our kids? If we've got kids, why do we discipline them? Because we want them under authority, right? Amen? And as followers of Christ, we as well need to be under authority. It is painful and it is hard, but yet it is, it is needed. He says, but afterwards there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Your life is a marathon. 
not a sprint. And when a marathon happens, there are times you feel like giving up. I'm tapping out. I can't do this anymore. But what holds you to that race is the discipline of where you know you have to get. I heard a pastor say, I think it was T.D. Jakes, he said, if you want to build a chicken coop, you just put a couple of post holes up and some chicken wire around it, and you've got your chicken coop there. And it keeps them in the pen. But if you want to build a skyscraper, you've got to dig the opposite direction. And you've got to put footers in the ground. And before you even lay a foundation, you've got to go backwards in preparation to laying the foundation. And depending on how high you want that building to go, depends on how deep you go that way. That is discipline. That's discipline. It may not make sense. And why, do I, why am I doing Why am I restricted to doing it? Why? Because I see a much bigger picture. I see the end results and why I'm saying no to this or why I'm applying this attribute. Beginning to apply that to my life. I was at um, a few weeks ago, I was celebrating a dear friend's surprise party and she was turning 50 and a bunch of us had gotten together and um, she, she and I had graduated high school together 30 plus years ago and um, they're dear friends of ours. We've known them for 27, 28 years or so. So we walked into the, into the house and there were a lot of people I hadn't seen in a lot of years. And um, one of the couple that was there he and I were single at the time 26, 27 years ago. And I'd seen him on Facebook a little bit here and there and all, but um, we give each other a huge hug. I said, man, how you doing? He's like, I'm doing great, you know. And we spent about 15 minutes talking about our lives. And, you know, he got kind of emotional on some things. And, and um, he says, man, this is, you know, we're married 26 years or so. And we're doing this. And our kids are graduating college and so on. Uh, sharing about where our kids are at as well, too. And he stops and he grabs me on his shoulder. He goes, Scott. He says, we did it. We did it. So we, we did it. And what he was saying was this, 27, 28 years ago when we were single, we were trying to figure out what does marriage look like for us and so on. We had, we had kind of made some decisions together, some character, some disciplines in our life 27, eight years, 26, 28 years ago. We didn't know what the next 25 or 26 years would look like, but we were making decisions there. And what he was saying was the decisions that we made back then were now living in the benefits of those choices. But we're still married and we've got kids and the kids are now raised and they're in college and so on. And I looked at him and I said, dude, I still got like 35 or 40 more years left. But what what I understood was this. When it comes to making disciplined decisions, it's just not a crapshoot. I hope I land well. Hope I can figure this out. I hope I got the right process laid out. No, actually, God has given us a lot to lean into when it comes to relationships. In whatever season that we find ourselves in, some we never thought we'd be in, but we are. But you know what the season you're in right now? It's not a surprise to him. It's not a surprise to him. But what he's asking is, will you be fully devoted in the season that you are currently in? Because what can happen when life goes by like that 25 years later, you look back and say, we did it. We did it. Does that mean during that time I said no to some things? Absolutely. That I wanted to say yes to? Yep. Some things I didn't want to do that I did. But in the benefit of that, we don't know exactly how it lands. But as long as we hold true to the word of God and the foundation as our principles and our truth, we know that he is for us and not against us. Amen. And he will direct us and he will guide us. Develop good, godly disciplines in our life. So two closing takeaways. We know our relationships get stronger when we're secure in Christ, strong in character, and planted in community. Which of these qualities do you need to develop more of? Security, character, or community? And don't just write it down, but step into it. 
be disciplined enough to step into and say, I need more of that in my life because I don't want to be here a year later going, I'm still the same way I was. I'm still in the same position I was. The second question, takeaway thought is, if your purpose in life is to live an undivided devotion to Christ, and it is, what is one way you can focus on it this week? How could you be more fully devoted to Christ this week than you were last week coming in here? Amen? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close out here this morning? Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we get. It is, it is a gift and it is a treasure that we get to come into a home, a house, a place, a building, and call it church. We call it church, Lord, because your presence is there. Your creation is here. And we speak about our love for you and your amazing foundational love for us. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, every soul that sits in this room, young, old, married, widowed, divorced, single, wherever they're at, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father God, that it enriches our soul, it empowers our mind, and it equips our heart to live out fully devoted to you and the plans you have for us. God, I thank you for those who are here today who may be hurting, truly hurting and struggling because of loss or pain or broken relationships around them. Maybe in marriage, they feel so disconnected from the person they're sitting next to. God, I know that, that not just words, but God, I thank you, it's your word is medicine. Your word is transformational. Your word is healing to a wounded soul. God, would, would you do what no man can do? Would you open up hearts? Would you allow the transference of your truth and your word to fill the hearts, even the hard hearts this morning, that they would be open to receive from you? God, to those who are single, those who are, are waiting in the waiting room, Lord, looking and searching, God, I pray that they would not grow weary in doing well. But God, that they would see their singlehood as an opportunity of preparation and discipline for their future. God, that you would empower them to live out their life in honor before you fully devoted for you. And God, if there are those here who have been wounded and they've been hurt, God, I thank you, Father, that your, your balm, your salve of healing touch, God, will be upon their heart. God, that they would, would embrace your word and your truth that says you've come near to the brokenhearted. Would you heal that broken and divided heart? Would you then pick them up and place them in a high place of honor to be used, not for their glory, but for your glory and their good. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you would just breathe a breath of fresh air, God, into each of us here this morning. God, we don't want to gather a mist and just say we check the box of church. But God, we want to be enriched and taught and inspired, God, to go out and to live your word and allow others to be beneficiaries because we've spent time with you. As the scripture said, they recognized them because they had spent time with Jesus. God, would others in our workplace, others, God, in our community, others in our neighborhoods recognize you because we have spent time with you. They would see Christ in us, full of glory. Mold us and shape us and create us to your image bearers, the imago day of who you are. In Jesus' name. And God, I pray for every individual here, Lord, who maybe is lost and does not know you or has, has chosen to stay far from you, but they find themselves in this house here today. God, you know where they're at. 
You know the sacrifices that they've made. You know, God, the, 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 the hurts and the pains they've experienced. But Father, I thank you that our sin separates us from holiness. And you said in the book of Romans that all of us have sinned and fallen short. And the wage of one sin is a separation from you, eternal separation from you from all eternity. But you go on to say that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And that all that would call upon that name would find salvation. So if you're under the sound of my voice and you're sitting here listening to what I, all that I had to say, mute everything I said up to this point and ask yourself, is that you? A sinner separated from a perfect God. And if that's you and say, you say, I want to repent. I need to repent and I need to come and give my life to Christ. Today is my day. Would you just repeat this prayer after me? But you make this your prayer. No great major moment happens outside of a connection between you and an all-consuming God who loves you more than you'll ever know but will change your eternity. Say, dear God, I believe that you sent to this earth your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth. He took upon himself my sins, my pain, my insecurities. He took upon himself the wrath that was set up for me. He took that wrath for me. Jesus, I ask you, would you come into my heart? Would you forgive me? I repent and I turn of my wicked ways and I ask you to come be my Lord, my Savior, and my friend. For from this moment forward, I will follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, thank you for paying that high price for me so that I would not have to. Now, Holy Spirit, empower me to live this life out one moment at a time that would bring honor and glory before you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.